Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Mistakes. We all make them and sometimes we make the same mistake over and over. Maybe it's because we get excited about an opportunity and we rush even though it's against our better judgement. Maybe we're thinking, oh, it'll be different this time around. Maybe we just don't know how to do it any better. I know I've got a list of mistakes as long as my arm, and I bet you do too, but most of us don't really want to talk about them too much or seek advice. Luckily, Abby Clements from Infinity Sponsorship is willing to talk about her mistakes and what she's learned. And a while back, I received an email from Abby with a subject line, seven sponsorship mistakes I will never make again. And when I read it, I thought it was a great opportunity to invite Abby on the show and share them with you in detail. Welcome to episode 40 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Loyston, and I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening in. It is very humbling for the whole sponsor of team whenever we go to meetings or, or conferences or we catch up with people for coffee and you guys say, hey, I'm loving the podcast. And we especially love it when we can give you a shout out. And I've got two for this episode. The first is to Jake Lee and Jake is starting a new role as a director of corporate sponsorship in an athletic department of a small college in Maryland in the US. And Jake asked us if we'd done or we had any plans to do an episode on college athletic departments, but We don't know many people in that space, so if you are listening and you work in a college athletic department and you want to come on the show or you know someone who would, then please get in touch and we'll make it happen. Jake, thanks so much for getting in touch and letting us know that you listen to the podcast. Congrats on the job. We're sure you'll crush it. Good luck. Second shout out goes to Aaron Boss from Fiji Tennis, who let us know that he's enjoying the podcast while expanding his knowledge and experience for a period of time in Fiji on an internship. Glad you are enjoying the show, Aaron, and we hope you are well. Um, I'm not sure how you get an internship at Fiji Tennis, but I want one, so Aaron, please send me the details. In this episode, we welcome a new contributor to the podcast, Sam Irvine, who is our Territory Manager for Sponsorv in Australia and New Zealand. Sam will write a blog each month and then join me to chat about it in detail. And the first cab off the rank dovetails really nicely with the seven mistakes Abby will share with us later. And it is the key question that Sam wished he had asked sponsors, but never did. Here's Sam. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Before you joined us at Sponsor, have you worked at a rights holder? Correct. And my mail is that you are the most outstanding commercial manager in your field. You never put a foot wrong. It was basically, I mean, there were tears when you left. Left. That's just what I heard. True or not true? Maybe the last part. There definitely were tears. <laughs> of I don't joy. Know they were, yeah, tears of joy or <laughs> drunken tears, and they might have been mine. I don't know. I'm guessing you probably learned a few things uh, while you were working there, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, some things that you learned that you wish you always did. Definitely. And I think I, uh, being in this role with Sponsor of Now, I've had a chance to really look back and understand and see, I guess, it from the, a different side. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty too, so I get to understand. Especially when you gamble. <laughs> oh, don't gamble on the swans this year, I tell you that much. <laughs> um, so y- y- you would look back at your time, probably think, is there anything I, I could have done differently? Um, and you can... Like you said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You can look back now with, with clear vision. Is there anything that stands out that you thought, I can't believe I didn't do that? There, there is. And and for me, really, uh, thinking about this, this discussion, there was so much that I could have asked, but there was one key question that really sat home for me and that hit home, and that was how often would you like to hear from me and asking my sponsors that. And I, and I never really asked that question, never. Why? Well... Actually, I don't even know. Actually, I had to think quite hard as to why as well. <laughs> and it sounds like I'm talking to my kids. Why would you do that? I don't know, Dad. <laughs> Please don't put me in trouble. Because, because asking about how often you want to hear from them, the communication, the constant contact is pretty important. But it's a fairly middle-of-the-road question, right? Like, why is it important to ask that question, do you think? Well, it's not groundbreaking, is it, right? You're not setting a whole new standard of questions or you're not you're not standing out. Well, in my mind, I wasn't standing out by asking a question like that. But for me, there's you know some really key points here as to why it'd be important to ask those questions. And, and I've sort of identified four initially real big reasons as to why. So yep. really just controlling that conversation 
So really you you want to be the one identifying the key milestones and the one setting the agenda for that relationship. You want to be the leader. You want to be the one standing out from it the crowd. It is your job at the end of the day, isn't it, really? So it's, you should control it. Yeah, you should. And you shouldn't be the one getting handheld or you shouldn't be the one that's really getting dragged through this relationship. You're the one that really, I'd, most of the time, would have been the one reaching out wanting this relationship to happen in the first place. Very good. So really don't be like Sam and assume <laughs> that the sponsor will know what to ask really either to and or be willing to ask those questions either. So, And it's probably an important point for uh, sponsorship managers who might be welcoming on brands or sponsors who might not a lot of done a, might not have done a lot of sponsorship in the past. They might not know the answer, so it is important for you to control the mm. conversation, teach them, guide them. Because if they do know different, they'll tell you every day, Sam, once a month, Sam. Yes, but if they don't know, then you can at least control it. Exactly, and we're and we're all going to work with partners at different levels. At you know your major level or just just a, a partner at a different level. But that's not necessarily going to dictate the amount they want to hear from you either, mm. because it's going to come down to that individual individual relationship. Very good. So the first one is that you can by asking that question, how often do you want to hear from me? The first one is you can control the conversation. Mm, What's the next one? Well, you can be proactive. Right, So you can ensure that you're providing the brand or the partner with the information they need before they ask for it. Such a simple task, when you have asked the question really, this is so simple for you to be able to identify being proactive, being out there in their space where they want you to be. Plus, it gives yourself the ability to stand out from other partnerships. Don't assume that all the other partners are going to service at that same level as you are. Yeah, and I think an interesting point there when you said it before they ask for it. If somebody comes to you and asks for information, it's half the time it's probably not just because oh, I was just thinking about something and can you give me some information. They may be under pressure at their end to be reporting to other parts of their business and if they have to wait for you to get back from a meeting and then 3 days to pull it together or as if you set, you know, regular communications and you can be proactive and you know what you're going to give them, then they're always going to have access to that. They can always come back and ask for more, but they're going to have access to it on a regular basis, right? Exactly. You don't want to be the handbrake on that relationship and you don't want to be an impediment to their job overall as well. So therefore, being proactive is really going to take away that opportunity. All right, very good. So you can control the conversation. You can be proactive. What's next? Position yourself as more than just a contact. So don't just make it a transactional relationship. Make it something that's really important, that's a little bit different, that's a little bit more, I guess, expansive. Position your partnership as a key relationship for that brand. It's not just another sponsorship or it's not just another contract they've got to sign or invoice they've got to pay. Being an important element of their marketing plan. Mm. I think that's important. I think that that being a key element of their marketing plan is important Mm. because they're not just buying ads Mm. or airtime or space in a magazine or something like that. It actually takes a bit of effort. Plus, plus having that individual relationship, right? You, you know, if you can pick up the phone and have a chat to a partner or to another rights holder or whatever it might be, and you can talk about things that aren't necessarily transactional, that aren't directly related to a signed agreement, then you're going to have a stronger relationship. You're going to be more sticky and you're going to be able to then really lean on each other when needed at appropriate times. And it won't just be about a business relationship. It'll be much more than that. Yeah, I was going to I was going to call it insurance or but it's, prob- it's probably uh, I don't know, banking almost. If you're building that relationship outside of the transaction, yes, it's good. Yes, you work better together. But sooner or later, you know, most there's something that happens in relationship. You know, you use the wrong logo mm. or you forget to do something or the sponsor forgets to do something. And if you've got a good relationship in place, you've got credits to to call on. You can speak to each other freely. You don't have to pussyfoot around. You're basically building that relationship, not just for the now, but for the future as well. Exactly. And and I think as we know in this business, people don't tend to stay in the same place for a really long period of time. So you've you've really built a relationship with that individual, but you've become an, an indispensable part for that brand as well. So if that individual you were in contact with moves on, you as a person and you as a partner really are key to what they're doing in their marketing space. Very good. Next one, last one, number four. Last one. I try to keep it to four. Yeah. Is Just, that what Tomo does? <laughs> I think it changes. Does it? I don't know. I'll have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> don't lie. You listen to yourself speak all the time. Anyway, I, I like listening to myself speak. I'll probably Dude. listen a few times. <laughs> Professionally, you can do what you should be doing, right? Really, you've you've already said 
what you're going to do. You've, you put it on paper in a contract. Go ahead and do it. Reach out and ask when you should be and how you should be doing those things mm. and go ahead and do it. And there's nothing worse than being in, in a relationship or a partnership and you not holding up your end of the bargain. Yeah, it's, that speaks volumes not doing it, mm. but it also does speak you know, a fair amount of volume around just doing what you said you were going to do and I don't have to chase you for... For, you know, if you said you're going to call me mm. on Friday afternoons, you know, it doesn't get to Monday morning. I'm like, I never heard from him. You, you know, you are a professional. If you say you're going to do something, you should do it, yeah? So if you haven't asked that question around deadlines or requirements or when they want to be met, you don't really know. But if you've asked that question, you've set key deadlines, requirements, and then just go ahead and meet them. It really can be just that simple. Yeah. Okay. So one, control the conversation. Two, you can be proactive. Three, you can position yourself as more than just a contact mm, mm. and it's not transactional no. and for you know you can be professional and do what you say you're going to do anything else we want to add to that well i guess for me it's about standing out from the crowd right using resources having a better understanding having a little bit more research and really just being more than just a contact or more than just another sponsorship in that space and that's through personal relationships asking those right questions and really understanding what makes that brand tick or it might even make that individual tick around that space? Yeah, I think it's an important angle and I've got to choose my words carefully here because of our listeners. But there's a lot of people who don't do this stuff and maybe a lot of other stuff, but mm. this element, they don't do it well. So if you want to do it well mm. or you are doing it well, there's a massive opportunity, like you said, to stand out, to differentiate yourself particularly if that brand has got a portfolio of sponsorships, you know, mm. because sooner or later you're up for renewal or something happens and they're trimming costs. And if you are standing out and doing all of this stuff, then you are seen in a completely different light. Even if you're not perfect in other elements, you're seen in a different light because you're open, you're communicative, all those sorts of things, and you've built a relationship. Well, I mean, as you said at the start, it seems like a middle of the road question, right? Or a middle of the road average thing that you should be doing. It's You're, you're not breaking ground here in any new special way, but a lot of the time that's all it takes. Is yeah. Doing and, the small and, things right. and it's such a small thing, middle of the road question, but if you get it right and you execute it right, like we just spoke about, there's huge dividends. Mm, yeah, ex exactly. And, and, they, and, they, and, and you're right, they flow on over years or throughout that relationship, et cetera, professionally and personally, et cetera. So you're going to come on the podcast, I think it might be once a in month. In a blue moon. Oh, yeah, once no, in a once blue a moon. Yeah. yeah, that's every month now. <laughs> <laughs> I checked the lunar calendar. Uh, so once a month you're going to come on, you're going to talk about the blog that you've written. Uh, what's the next topic? You got it yet? I, I do, but I don't know if it's coming around uh, soon enough. I'm hoping to talk about Le Tour. Oh. So that uh, I'm not sure if who any – I'm sure lots of our listeners have been up and bleary-eyed watching uh, the largest annual sporting event every mm. year. So I uh, was hoping to be around that. Let's wait and see. But uh, hopefully the listeners are uh, shocked by my voice compared to Tom Hayes. <laughs> Word on the street is it's going to probably be the greatest blog that this company's ever produced. That's just <laughs> what I heard. Well, as Making long as, a, lot of, a lot of people nervous. As long as the uh, work experience kid puts the right link on the EDM <laughs> that goes out, we'll be fine, I think. Okay. So, so um, thanks for joining us. If you want to uh, read that blog uh, – all of Sam's thoughts on, on that front around asking that question about how often you should speak to a sponsor, uh, just head along to sponsor.net, head to the resource section and head to the blogs and it'll be there for you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for your time, Daniel. International speaker and one of Australasia's leading corporate partnership advisors for the not-for-profit sector, Abby Clements has more than 25 years' experience in marketing, sales adult education, communications, event management, and corporate and cause-related sponsorship. Abby's key passion involves teaching revenue generation strategies to organisations that transform their performance, maximise their impact, and most importantly, increase their income. Founder of Infinity Sponsorship, Abby dedicates herself to serving and supporting those that identify with being for purpose, for passion, and for social change so that they can diversify their income streams and continue their vital work in the community. Her fundraising academy created with a single focus in mind to help you become a better fundraiser also supports organisations to transform their mindset from a charity in need of handouts to a powerful marketing partner 
to the right brand. And a while back, I received an email from Abby with the subject, seven sponsorship mistakes I will never make again. And when I read it, as I said before, I thought it was a great opportunity to get Abby on the show and share them with you in detail. Here's Abby. Abby Clements, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great speaking with you, Daniel. Well, you say always. I think you coming on the show makes you the first person to come on the show twice because I think you joined us way back in episode nine, and I think that this will be about episode 40. Has has coming on the podcast profoundly changed your life? <laughs> Absolutely. It's catapulted me to, you know, superstar status uh i wish no <laughs> I, I i actually really enjoyed um that podcast we did god way back when feels like um you know and i i watch your podcast posts coming out every week you guys are like a prolific um machine so um yeah i've, I've just loved how you've gone from strength to strength to strength and and brought more and more global people on to really give um people all over the world a real insight into what's happening in the sponsorship industry so very good well we do we do try so abby one of the things i've been doing that we weren't doing when we you first joined the show is some icebreaker questions and even though the listeners probably would have heard that first episode where we had you on and they may be on your mailing list um i so they probably know you a little bit already i didn't think i should let you off the hook so the first icebreaker so kind of you (laughs) i'm good like that so the first (laughs) icebreaker question is apart from the obvious answers of your family your pets your laptop your phone those sorts of things if your house is on fire what's the first thing you're going to take oh that's a good question so many. How, how, how many arms do I get? Um, you know, I have to say I have a very uh, a, a big fondness for a particular piece of artwork. So I, I was um, full-time employed in, in the, uh, the charity sector for a peak professional body. We had our um, conference up at Alice Springs and uh, our welcome drinks were held at an um, Indigenous art gallery and, it you know, I, I'm not an art connoisseur. I just like what I like. I'm not a, a snob or anything like that. But I tell you, <laughs> this piece of art just grabbed me, uh, captivated me when I walked in. And it was just one of those beautiful um, dot paintings, but it was, you know, lime greens and pinks and yellows and reds. And um, it was a it was a, a, a female warrior surrounded by her, um, her kind of um, – uh, her sisters, I guess. Anyway, I just I just couldn't leave without it. So um, I, I think definitely that would be the one thing that I would take with me if all of the other essentials yes, were covered, of course. you know, kids, dogs, everything. So <laughs> Then the painting, yeah. then the painting. <laughs> then the painting. So, um, Abby, what's your, what was your first ever job? My first ever job? Well, having put myself through two degrees, uh, I I would have, you know, multiple jobs at any one time. Um, I guess, you know, a couple of the, the very, very early ones were um, I used to work. So I know you're from Canberra. I used to I used to live in Canberra. So I, I went to the Australian National University, oh, okay. University of Canberra. Yes. And I worked as the weekend manager at the National Dinosaur Museum. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's still there. Is it? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, I know you have young babies yourself, so um, hopefully you've been. But I, I was the front-end front, front end girl there when you'd come through with your family on the weekend. I would take your money. I would do uh, tours around. Um, we, we had we had school groups come through. It was um, really fantastic. And I certainly lot, learnt a lot more about dinosaurs than I ever uh, thought that I would at that age of my life. <laughs> um, and I guess the other one I really wanted to say was um, – they're not around anymore. I don't ever see them anymore. But I was a driveway attendant at a local uh, service station, yes. which was um, a really, um, you know, low-paying job. But one of the things I loved about it was I would have women come in and um, not know how to fill their um, windscreen wiper fluid or check their oil or put air in their tyres and they were like, oh, my husband always does this. And I actually found it a really great opportunity to empower these women to kind of look after their cars without needing to rely on their husband and give them a little bit more independence. So, yeah, that was another very, very early job I had back in the day. 
Very good. And and now <laughs> you uh, you you own and run Infinity Sponsorship. And even though you've been on the show before, I think it's probably still worthwhile to remind uh, old listeners and and then set the scene for new listeners. Um, just let us know a little bit about Infinity Sponsorship. What sort of work you do? What sort of clients you focus on? Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, I I really love working with the the charity association, um, not for profit sector. So there are around ten million um, organisations worldwide, and um, you know I work here in Australia and overseas, and and I really work across a number of models depending what the needs are for organisations. So I work um, as a sponsorship broker, and I think that's what we're going to be uh, focusing on today. In in today's podcast talking about some of those learnings that I had uh, in my early days and I, I coach people through the process. Um, I find that that is always the most um, sustainable way for an organisation to have um, a great outcome from corporate partnerships is when they have a kind of a star on board and we, we really work with them to get them firing on all c- cylinders. Um yeah, and look, over the years, I've just created a ton of resources. I'm I'm a hopeless ebook writer and webinar recorder, and <laughs> I, I can't help myself. So I recently launched um, my fundraising academy. So, you know, we run a series of live monthly webinars, live monthly coaching calls. Um, I've got you know 33 on demand webinars. So you know, that is um, what I'm really enjoying at the moment is is providing that drip feed of knowledge, tons of practical resources and templates to really help, um, you know, people understand the pathway to best practice sponsorship. Very good. And we will be uh, sure to put a link to all that sort of stuff uh, in the show notes so that people can go and check it out. And some of that content that you create is a, a, a weekly email, uh, and I uh, received an email from you, and the subject line said, seven sponsorship mistakes I will never make again. And I thought <laughs> that sounded like a great opportunity to get you back on the show and talk through those mistakes, talk about what you learnt from them. Uh, first off, though, what prompted you to write it in the first place? Yeah, great question. Well, um, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm all about sharing and caring and, and the good in the good times and the bad. And, look, I've made more mistakes than I think uh, many of your viewers together <laughs> could uh, make in their, in their careers. And I always like to look for the higher purpose or the, or the lessons in stuff that happens. To tell you the truth, I wrote that article about um, three years ago and I never published it. And for, for me, it was a um, quite a cathartic experience just trying to tease out what actually um, went wrong, what went right, what were what were the learnings. And it was only fairly recently that I, um, I decided to share it because I'm seeing people, you know, all over the place um, – you know, wearing too many hats for the heads that they've got. You know, they've, they've got multiple roles. Gee, I work with people who have like half an hour a week to dedicate to uh, creating and implementing a sponsorship strategy. Oh, you know, wow. that, that that is so impossible um, for them to try and get it up and, and lift it off the ground when, when they've got that amount of time. So really, if there was anybody out there who could see themselves in any of these life lessons or, or mistakes um, and kind of navigate a bit of a shortcut, then I, I thought I, I really wanted to share it. Yeah, and I think interestingly, while the seven mistakes and, and the subsequent learnings that we'll, we'll talk about are all built around or, or stem from your engagement as an external consultant going into a client and helping out, there's going to be value for people who've maybe been in their roles for some time as full-time employees, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I think uh, sponsorship brokers have um, – it can actually be a bit of a polarizing thing. You know, I've read articles from from other sponsorship experts talking about you should never engage a sponsorship broker. You know, they they just come on board to to um, you know, but they don't do it, any kind of skills transfer. And then you see other other organisations who won't consider any other kind of engagement. They just want to outsource the process. I think as an external um, consultant. If you are really good at what you do, you need to integrate um, into the organisation as if you were a full-time employed resource. So the learnings that I undertook there were were no different from whether I was 
engaged as an employee or um, an external consultant. My job was to really understand the organisation and map out a sponsorship strategy that was going to bring them abundance. So, yeah, whether externally engaged or or employed, it was um, a very similar process that I used. So what I thought we'd do is run through each of those seven mistakes with you outlining first what the mistake was and then we can jump into what you think you could have done differently or what you learnt from that. Mistake number one was starting off on the wrong foot. How did that happen? Yeah, look, um, I, I guess the thing to kind of couch this whole conversation is too is is this was one of my very, very first engagements um, as a sponsorship broker for Infinity Sponsorship. So not only was I, you know, brand new to this organisation, but I had a very new company, so I was kind of new to the entrepreneurial world as well. Um, So interestingly, I came into this organisation on the coattails of another sponsorship consultant they had engaged um, that um, they feel didn't work for them, that, that that the whole scenario did not work. There was quite a bit of bad blood. Um, they had what I term as a hangover. And so I, um, yeah, I came on board as kind of the the mop and bucket lady <laughs> to, to, cl- to clean up and to, to, to take them forward to success. So um, that there was definitely um, – Oh, yeah, so the question is how yeah. did we start off on the wrong foot? So, you know, I guess that I um, I wasn't really aware apart from, you know, what they were telling me, look, that we'd had somebody else in and it didn't really work and we brought you in now to, to make it work. I wasn't aware of the pain that they were in or, the, or, or how big the hangover was. I certainly did not bring enough Panadol with me. <laughs> so, so how should you have started it? What should you have done to mitigate that? Yeah, so look, hindsight is always a wonderful thing and, um, you know, I could just live my whole life in 2020 hindsight and, and, and be perfect. But oh, it's I guess it's hard with some of these mistakes to look back and go, well, knowing what I knew at the time, could I actually have done anything more differently? But I guess um, really asking good questions is, is always um is always going to get you out of trouble. And I guess I could have really dived into a little bit more of the specifics of, well, how did they engage that consultant? Where did they feel that it went wrong on a, on a nitty-gritty level? Um, you know, rather than just this person didn't achieve our outcomes, where, where were the sticky points that I was about to run into (laughs) and that, you know, in the end I kind of look back and go, well, mm, was it it all to be laid at that sponsorship consultant's feet or were there perhaps learnings and responsibilities to be taken on both sides? And Mm. I was certainly about to discover that, uh, you know, everybody needs to take responsibility when something doesn't quite go to plan. Mm. So so mistake number two is the – the old chestnut of the goalposts moving. Ah, oh, yes, the moving feast. Yes, well, uh, that that was um, that was a biggie. Uh, I I came on board and didn't know it at the time, but there was a whole bunch of change that this organisation was about to undergo. So they were changing their name, they were changing their logo. They had lost uh, or were about to to lose a bunch of staff. Um, The CEO was transitioning to retirement, unbeknownst to me. Um, They were changing physical location. So really in terms of the change an organisation can go through, they were almost ticking all of the boxes. Mm. So I I really had kind of, um, you know, in hindsight, I probably would have hit the pause button on implementing a sponsorship strategy because there was just way too much going on in other areas of the organisation for them to kind of focus their attention on, on what needed to be looked at. And particularly, even for employees, but it's probably heightened for consultants, it's not the – most of the time when you go in and you're doing some work, it's not the only place – 
in the organisation that is experiencing change. And even if it is, you don't get a lot of control over that change. So you're at its mercy a little bit, aren't you? Totally, totally. And and I guess what was, um, you know, disappointing in some ways was a lot of that change had been planned for and they knew was happening. And I, I kind of, um, you know, wasn't brought into the fold so again, you know, the learnings were how could I have communicated differently? How could I have asked better questions? You don't know what you don't know. So it's really hard to, you know, ask, you, you, you're going to be changing your name anytime soon or are you transitioning to you know, retirement? Of course, those questions don't ever, aren't ever front of mind. <laughs> but yeah, really since then, a lot of the ways that I work with organisations has been modelled based on these learnings that I developed in these very, very early contracts. So we have a a nice, well-oiled machine now. (laughs) Well, I was going to say or suggest and get your views, but I think whenever there's an opportunity and you're really excited about it, it can be a case of, well, you know what, deep down I really know I should probably spend a couple of hours understanding more deeply about other areas of the business and, and, and what's impacting and how does this people see, person see the last engagement and mm. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but you get so excited and caught up in the ability to do some great work and the awesome opportunity that sometimes you skim over that stuff and it's important to slow yourself down so that you don't make mistakes. That is the absolute perfect description. I was so stoked to be um, engaged with this organisation. They had, a, they had in, in many ways, my initial understanding was they had a great prospect for potential corporate partners. And that, that's really all that I was focusing on. And, you know, it's interesting you should, you should say that because what I've noticed as the years have gone on um, when I go into an organisation or when I am co- coaching somebody in a corporate fundraising role is the the first reason reason they reach out to you is because we're desperate for sponsorship we're desperate to diversify our income streams but when you start peeling away those layers often you know it's their website that is one of the first things that really needs to be visited <laughs> or their social media strategy or if you're coaching someone, um, the the fact that they um, have issues with their board or they don't feel internally supported, it's really quite interesting. So I just went in going, oh, my God, I can really do well and this is going to be awesome. And you're right, I didn't look at, it, at the organisation as a whole and do any kind of barometer reading. Hmm. So having people engaged, so I think that's a nice segue because I think people, having people engaged in what you are doing certainly goes a long way in helping to achieve what you want to. Mistake number three, though, was the opposite. You experienced a complete lack of internal support. Yes, uh, you're not wrong. I, I really did. And, and I, I, again, it was, I think, um, partly to do with the amount of change they were going going through. And partly um, it was, I didn't discover until later, I was just a, a checkbox that needed to be ticked. The CEO was getting a lot of heat from the board. They'd had this other sponsorship consultant. They'd already, you know, sunk quite a bit of money into this strategy. Then I'd come on board um, and so I was kind of really um, just another person who was coming in to rip them off. Really, in in hindsight, they mm. they didn't they didn't think it was going to work, um, and so they didn't. They kind of just sat back. You know, it's those people when you go and have a tarot card reading or a psychic reading, and you're not a believer. So you sit back and you just fold your arms and go, "Well, come on." Tell me what what is in my future. Mm. It was very much like that kind of scenario. And so when I was trying to engage them and collaborate with them to say, hey, this is going to work um, better if we all get involved, because I know the sponsorship stuff, that that's not my issue. My issue is really sucking your brain dry Um, and understanding your organisation. So when I go out there and speak about you and approach potential corporate partners, I sound like I am an integral part of your your organisation. So 
there was um, a huge amount of, of, of lack of internal support. The CEO, as I said, was transitioning to retirement. So he just wanted to be able to say, well, we've got an Abby on board now and, and she'll she'll look after that. Um, and I think to, um, you know, just things like timeframes, um, you know, I would submit – you know, I was brought on board with a certain remit to to bring in sponsorship, and we were looking at a at a target that I was tying my my success to, and uh, you know I, I collaborated with the entire team, um, and uh, you know to to understand all of the programs and um, everything that they were doing and get their idea of like if you were in my role and you were thinking about sponsorship for this organisation, who would you approach and why? And I really brought everyone in. But um, when I submitted the list of potential sponsors I felt would be great to go out to, um, not only was it a two-month delay to them responding to my to my potential list of partners, but I then got an email saying, um, you know, a whole bunch of it was it was more than fifty percent of my list was not to be um, approached because um, we, we've got programs on board and we're going to approach those sponsors. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it was, a, it was a massive flag for me at the time and I realised that I was in deep and I didn't at that point know how I was going to kind of get out or um, change their perception and, and you know, kind of say to them, hey, you've engaged me as part of your organisation. We really need to be a team here rather than on opposite sides of the fence. Mm. So It was a very interesting scenario, yeah. Mm. Definitely challenging. So um, <laughs> the people will be sitting in their jobs. They've probably been in other jobs that they've done before where they have mm. a great idea, they can see a way forward. Maybe they've done consulting like you, but even if you're just sitting at your desk and you're a full-time permanent employee you and you're a sponsorship manager or on the brand or the right side of side, you're quite often seeing ideas, you're being influenced by other people. You, you, you might go and have a chat to your boss about some great ideas. How do people get that that internal support so that they can go off and actually execute things properly. What would yes. you have, what would you have done differently mm. there? Well, I mean, and and I think um, you know, not not only was there lack of internal support, it, there was no commitment at the board level for this this um, strategy that that I was doing. So um, that was actually one of the key um, parts that I really dove into and pulled apart so that when I was working with an organisation in this in this way moving forward, um, that they understood what my role was, that I managed expectations, um, but I also then um, had a chance to understand what their roles were and how they saw this role and, um, you know, why, why they engaged me. So, is that, guess, was um, that at the board level or just the internal staff? Look, really, when, you know, we could kind of lump those two things together because lack of internal support um, was by almost every key stakeholder within the organisation, you know, the program staff, the, the CEO, the board. Um, so what really started to happen for me because I was an advocate back in the day of you know you develop a cold proposal you send it out to a list of prospects <laughs> who have never heard of you before and you mash those two things together and woohoo the sponsorship magic happens <laughs> and you know before the sponsorship before the first global financial crisis I actually had really great success doing that and then as the GFC one and two came through the sponsorship landscape started to change and I realised that the whole process of sponsorship, particularly in the charity sector, did not start with the proposal. It started with the board and getting that sense of commitment. Um, so if you are an employed sponsorship manager or corporate partnerships manager or corporate fundraiser and you are sitting listening this today and you are feeling blocked with your sponsorship strategy, one of the reasons may be that you don't know or you've forgotten that your due diligence in this process is actually to bring your team along with you. 
program staff and finance staff can be really quite siloed in their roles. Um, the, the fundraiser for an organisation is one of the very few people other than the CEO that have that beautiful helicopter view of the organisation and they really kind of, you know, are a storyteller to potential corporate partners. So you should be having an agenda item on every team meeting, um, talking about sponsorship, talking about, um, you, you know, what your role is and, and including in them and in collaborating with them and getting their ideas. Um, and certainly, you know, one of the things that I started doing when I would go um, – into these roles as a sponsorship broker and coaching people is creating a policy at the board level that talks about a commitment to corporate sponsorship or corporate fundraising because they have to understand that sponsors will want to engage with them, um, that they have to understand that be being a sponsor as a board director is really a bit of a conflict of interest and it can muddy the waters between mm. their strategy hat and their sponsorship business owner hat. So, yeah, that may be a bit, bit long-winded, but this was really one of the pivotal things that made me stop and go, for the sector, rather than, you know, sports organisations and all of that kind of stuff, where does a sponsorship strategy have the biggest uh, capacity to fall over? And it's, it's absolutely if you don't have – you know, everyone is very happy to put lots of pressure on their corporate fundraiser to say, you know, where's the money? Do you have a sponsor yet? We really need to, you know, get this event up and running. But often that is not coupled with a sense of support or understanding. So I like to push back with the sponsorship managers I work with and say, you know what, you have to speak up and you have to put some um, frameworks in place that support you, but not just you, the strategy moving forward. Mm, oh, that is good and you're right it was long-winded but it's cool because it started <laughs> to merge into uh, the mistake number four which I, we might just round out if that's okay because you know obviously yeah. boards play a, a really important role in sponsorship their support mm. can be crucial you speak about those things about policies that that help that you've got top-down support you didn't have board support at that point in time but the vast majority of sponsorship professionals whether they be full-time employees or or consultants engaged like you were, they don't often have direct access to the board. However, mm. interestingly, as you said in your answer, the board can quite often be a great uh, source of connecting you to corporate sponsors because they are generally business people mm. themselves. They've got multiple business interests. They've usually got large networks. But what can we do to help tap into that and, and make sure that not only are we getting board support with, uh, you know, over and above the policies, but also, you know, saying to the board, you can really help put fuel onto this and help us achieve what we mm. want to. How do we go about that? Yeah, I, that's such an excellent question. And, and really, I see, uh, see a huge role for the CEO in this. A lot of CEOs um, really need to embrace their corporate fundraisers, their sponsorship managers, because they are the link to the board, you know. So my job as a sponsorship manager when I was employed, um, and even as a consultant, is to manage upwards to my CEO and then, of course, help them manage upwards to the board. Um, and, you know, everybody talks about, oh, the board has great networks and, and they could be such an integral part of the sponsorship process. But you know what? If they don't know who the corporate fundraiser is, if they don't have access to them, if they don't trust or feel that that person is professional or knows what they're doing, they are never going to give up their networks because they're scared of their networks being spammed or asked silly questions or asked for ludicrous amounts of money. Um, so there really needs to be a two-way communication process between the sponsorship manager and the board, and generally the CEO is the linchpin. And I was, I was lucky enough when I was employed um, 
full time as as a corporate partnerships director that my my CEO was fantastic and she um, allowed me to have an agenda item on the board uh, papers every quarter um, I was I was talking about corporate partnerships at every team meeting so I was really um, helping the board understand that a I'm not going to be raping and pillaging your your contacts um, you know, be um, understanding what their role in the process was um, and, and helping them to understand that this is not about selling their soul um, as an organisation and that really helping them understand what processes I was using, what my logic, my methodology around going after corporate partners were. I mean, we could go into a whole different segue of, you know, everyone thinks they need an airline and a grocery sponsor and a telco, but, you know, really helping them understand beyond that, who are the great corporate partners for us? Yeah. And I think that, that, the, the idea or, or or the outcome of having a a standing agenda item on at, at the board meeting while you might mm. not necessarily go to the board meeting or you might just go in there for five minutes depending on how you want to do it but yeah. un- having open communication with your CEO and saying what do you need from me right just give to the board or even understanding whether what is spoken about in around your job at the board level. Because exactly. you can't you can't just assume that the CEO he goes in there and tells the board everything that you've told him on a Thursday afternoon, and because you don't really hear anything back, everything's hunky dory. There is a real opportunity here for you to control what the board hears. Exactly, and and as I said, that that corporate fundraising role is one of the few roles, other than the CEO, that has that really big helicopter view. So you can have a really substantial support. Um, role for your CEO and you know if your CEO isn't kind of on board with that then um, having some conversations around that because it's um, as I said it's all about you managing upwards and helping them manage upwards and it's just going to make your job so much easier. Mm, Agreed. A a rights Mm. holder usually has multiple channels through which to communicate with their audiences and and digital channels like social media and email are especially important these days. Mm. And mistake number five saw you get caught out on this front, didn't it? Uh, Yes. Yes, it did. I got caught out. I got caught out big time. I was so excited. (laughs) And I think one of the one of the reasons I got caught out was, you know, going back to that that mistake or life lesson where suddenly you know, 50, 60% of the pie was taken away from me. So, you know, some of the big programs that they were running had great, um, you know, interaction and, and they, they would, you know, they had a real core core group of people that they were interactive, interacting with. But the, the rest of the pie that I was given, um, they had no email addresses. They had no social media um, at all, no social media strategy, let alone any kind of platform that they were communicating on. So we had that organisation had 15,000 members and, yeah, and it it was really compelling, 15,000 members and a lot of them were – you know, had even bigger networks because there were patients and then there were carers. So the patients were 15,000. But, of course, the people who were caring for these people had um, even bigger networks. So I I was very excited about those numbers until I learnt that they only had several hundred email addresses. Now, People listening could go, oh, my God, that's an absolute travesty and why didn't you think to ask? And But you know what? The, I wouldn't the actual- think to ask. I would just assume that they've done it. Yeah, well, I did too, which is why I was caught out. <laughs> but <laughs> turns out the demographic of these people were lower socioeconomic, did not um, really ever communicate via email, were not on social media. And, and you know, this is also what, what we're talking about kind of five years ago now. At that stage, we were still having discussions. You know, I remember going to conferences and stuff and we were still having discussions around, well, the social media train is leaving the platform. I mean, we know now that the social media train has left the platform and if you're not on board, you've missed the boat or, Mm. you know, you've got a bit of work to do to catch up. 
Um, so this was still kind of new back in the day, but yeah, I I got massively called out because there was there was no digital strategy and there was nobody, as I said, um, that was willing to support the implementation. You know, they they would get the the grey haired. Begr- brigade god love them in every month and they would come these beautiful um retired people would come and they would fold fifteen thousand newsletters and shove them into envelopes and and post them out so um yes it was it it was a challenging but, 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 but mail like that still can have its place. You know, you spoke about the demographics of, of the mm. audience, but, you know, those sorts of things, if they're executed well, can still have huge impact and return on investment. But digital comms is, you know, it's it's extremely important channel for rights holders these days, even if it's just, you know, you talked about folding 15,000 newsletters and putting them in an envelope and then putting a stamp on them and then putting them somewhere. Like I'm guessing that's a dollar, dollar fifty per person right where the 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 the, uh the efficiencies in costs around digital is is so much better you know you can send an email basically for nothing right apart from the infrastructure that supports it and the time that goes in to craft it but clearly the rights holder hadn't placed much importance on digital channels what would you have done differently maybe and also how i mean you spoke about the gray hair brigade i call them the gray suits um how do you (laughs) position the importance of digital channels to people when they can't see the value in them themselves because they would have embraced them already if they did true and and to tell you the truth i think me coming in 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 this capacity was the thing that was an aha moment of oh my goodness um, this is actually our, our lack of digital comms is precluding us from uh, from getting corporate investment because mm, some of the conversations exactly. were cut dead um, as soon as we started talking about, well, you know, tell me about some of the communication channels this organisation is using. And when there was absolutely nothing of a digital nature, it, it just, you know, they were like, look, this this isn't a fit for for our brand, which of course cut my slice of the pie down even further as to who I could approach um, mm. um, for for potential sponsors. So, I think yes, I think highlighting was, the impact of of how it's uh, hindering you bringing on sponsors because mm. they're the benefits that the sponsors are looking to achieve in their marketing. Um, totally. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Now, um, and I think, oh, just before you move on yeah, from that on. point, too, I think one of the things that's that's really important for um, sponsorship managers and and um, you know corporate fundraisers to understand is whether you're engaged in um, full time employment or as an external consultant, like I often am, um, you actually bring a very unique. Um, perspective to your organisation. There are not many people within your organisation that will bring this kind of um, external intelligence, if you like. So um, it was really, it's always very interesting for me as a sponsorship broker um, because I am able to give that organisation what the external view is of them in the public arena you know are they but they all think that they're very well known because they're working and playing and living in that organization but um your role as a sponsorship seeker really can can um i guess just bring a bit of a reality check to how your organization is viewed what kind of reputation it has and what you could be maybe doing differently you know one of the things charities and associations don't do very well is promote themselves is engage with media is is really talk up what they're doing in society so you know that that's the storytelling the storytelling is so powerful and it's yet so Mm. underutilized by organizations like that it is, and it's often because they just don't have time. Mm. Mm. So, mistake number six. We, I think, <laughs> I think we've we've covered it. It'd be interesting to see if you wanted to add anything in there around the, you finding out that potential sponsors were being courted by other areas of the organisation. <sighs> that was a doozy. That was a doozy. And the problem was, I didn't, I didn't find out until I was on the phone to a potential. Sponsor. So I had already submitted uh, right back in the beginning after all of that internal examination and collaborating with different programs and projects um, within within the organisation. I had already developed 
my list of prospects. Um, and, of course, then they were like, no, 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 um, you know, this percentage um, you aren't able to approach. So I thought, okay. So we then approved this other um, list that I could get on and, and start building relationships with. And it wasn't until I was actually on the phone to one of those um, companies that they started saying, well, you know, like what area of the organisation are you calling from? Because I just spoke with so-and-so yesterday and we are looking at, um, you know, possibly investing um, this amount of money for this project. And they were really quite, um, as the conversation went on, they were getting quite agitated, mm. of, you know, because it made us look incredibly Unprofessional. Well, not only no. that, if I'm thinking mm. about giving you fifty, hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever the amount of money is, yeah, yeah, if you guys yeah. can't even coordinate yourselves internally, how are you going to help achieve my goals? <gasps> totally, totally right. So I was just um, really put in, you know, and, and sometimes as a sponsorship um, seeker, you know, pe- people like you and I are do have a bit of a gift of the gab. Sometimes we can, you know, pedal really fast like a duck underwater and, and get ourselves out of situations. This doesn't sound so like I, one of those situations. <laughs> it, it really did um, catch me unawares. And mm. so, you know, I was able to, um, you know, apologise and kind of, you know, do the best I could to get get out of that conversation. But it, it highlighted to me that, um, even though I thought I had uh, a list approved of, of partners that I was going after, clearly, you know, the left hand wasn't speaking with the right hand and not only were we not communicating internally, we looked like yeah. idiots, yeah. Um, you know, to, to potential sponsors and uh, it was it was a really – that was a tough day. I wasn't. Ha- I wasn't a happy camper that day. Mm, and I made mm. the comment about you know I would have some concerns potentially about how you're going to help me achieve my goals if I was that corporate you know looking to come on as a sponsorship. And that leads us to number seven because I thought number six was a pretty big curveball with uh, talking to people that are already engaged with the organisation. But I think number seven tops it because you did have some success, but I did. You- woohoo. Yeah, <laughs> a new sponsor that you helped bring on ended up withdrawing mm. their support in the early days. Yes, they sure did. So, um, you know, p- part of the conversations, are those initial pre-engagement conversations that I have with an organisation before they bring me on, is that they understand where my role starts and where my role stops. So it's it's really impossible as um as an external consultant to then go on and manage sponsors. So, you know, my role is to to create the strategy at that, at that really big strategic level and then go on and, and do the grunt work, if you like, and implement the strategy. But once I bring the sponsors on, um, I've obviously collaborated with the organisation. I bring my CEO along to meetings. I get them to eyeball potential sponsors across the you know, the table and access their gut about, you know, can we work with these organ with this company and is this a good fit? And um, you know, I I I once I sign that, get that contract signed, I then kind of slowly start to step away because obviously the person that is coordinating the newsletter um, is then dealing with that sponsor, the CEO is dealing with that sponsor. You know, and the organisation just takes over mm. and is communicating with them. And I've, I've got great templates in place with annual marketing schedules and they've got everything they need to move forward. But it was um, about four, it was, you know, it's about three months down the track having, um, having f- finished my engagement with this organisation that I, that I um, get an email saying, oh, um, you know, this particular sponsor has decided to pull out. Um, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> kind of the, the, nut, the nutshell version. And, and, in fact, that's probably the long version. It was a pretty short email. So I immediately picked up the phone and said, whoa, you know, what's happened? And, um, and, and, what, did you, and what did the sponsor say when you, when you spoke to them? And they said, oh, well, we haven't spoken to them. We, we got a letter about four weeks ago um, oh. at t- telling us that they, they are going to be withdrawing their support and the fit isn't right or they just don't feel like um, this is kind of working for them. And, and so we, we thought we'd contact you. But and they I hadn't said, spoken but, to them from the start? 
No. So, oh, oh, oh yes, they'd. I'd all. I always make sure that I that um during that initial courting process that I bring in key members of the team because I know that this is going to be a a process whereby I step back and they step in to manage. So I never exclusively meet with sponsors, sign a contract and then just hand them over. I bring my CEO in to initial meetings, you know, long before a contract is signed. Um, so, you know, they'd all gotten to know each other. And we, we also had a, a team meeting when we signed the contract um, where I introduced them to the rest of the team and, you know, got they got a tour of the office and all of that kind of stuff. So I was really surprised that this had not gone according to plan. But I guess my my um, the stickiness of the situation for me was that they'd received a letter four weeks before and they'd chosen to email me and then I picked up the phone straight away and there had been no communication from the organisation back to the sponsor. So I arrived at their office um, about an hour and a half's drive from here um, the following morning after having spoken um you know, with the sponsor to try and try and work this out. And they were very much about, um, you know, we need to take them to court and oh. they're reneging on their contract. And, yeah, wow, it was um, it was a really big learning for me and, and once again made me hone my communication skills moving forward because you think, you know, when you communicate with someone, I've got an image in my head about what I'm talking about and I'm hoping I'm drawing that same image in your head. Oh, Abby, I've got kids. I know of, exactly what you mean. Yeah. Uh, yes, so do I. Mm. What is that about? Um, but I, So I'm hoping that I'm drawing the same image in your head, but there's a whole bunch of filters that it has to go through from my head to your head. And, you know, it just made me realise that I had to, I just could never be careful enough about how I was communicating and how I was active listening to try and make sure that we were truly all on the on the same page. So the learning there is to just to, to sharpen and just double check, triple check, change the, the way you're delivering the message to mm. be absolutely positive you're all on the same page? Definitely, definitely. Throwing in hypothetical situations, um, you know, get, getting people engaged, even though my contract had finished, you know, more follow-up um, to make sure that, that that embedding process is is really happening. Hmm. Mm. Abby, across all those seven mistakes, any regrets? <laughs> heaps, heaps of regrets. Oh, I thought you were going to no. say no. <laughs> I was gonna. I'm joking. Oh. Look, I think it's always really interesting when somebody kind of is like, "Oh, I never have any regrets," and I always make sure I never have any regrets. Of course, I have regrets. At the end of the day, I wanted that organisation to have incredible abundance as a result of my time with them. Um, and you know, there were so many factors, uh, seven of which we've spoken about today, that prevented that from happening. So that that makes me sad because I do. I do really care about what I do and I do do really – I've chosen to work with this sector because um, it, it's where my heart sings. Has it provided me and the organisation with lots of learning moving forward? Absolutely. And so I never regret when I can walk away um, and, and make sure that I'm doing things better and differently for myself and for organisations that I work with in the future. And, of course, the uh, that, that, that whole scenario and those seven mistakes have uh, provided myself and the listeners with some great content to listen and learn from. So we <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. I'm glad. Abby, oh, that's great, my pleasure. Abby, great chat. Thanks um, heaps for uh, sharing those mistakes. It's For some people it can be quite confronting to say, I've made a mistake over here and, and this is why and, and sometimes we have to take responsibility for that. It's not just about mm. blaming other people all the time. So we really appreciate the, the, the openness around the chat and I'm sure that the listeners learned a lot from it. If people want to get in contact with you, find out more about what you do, Infinity sponsor, Sponsorship and even access all those, those great tools and the academies and things like that, what can they do? Oh, I will. I'm, I'm everywhere. So um, most recently I've created a LinkedIn group. So I'm finding that that is really going great guns. So I've tried to create a, a community of, of like-minded corporate fundraisers who are, you know, at different stages of their journey. So it's called the Ultimate Nonprofit and Charity Sponsorship Network that can be found on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Infinity Sponsor, um, Infinity Sponsorship on Facebook. And of course, my website, um, infinitysponsorship.com.au. Uh, 
um, I know you'll probably pop all the links in, but hundred um, percent. Yeah, I will. Yep. Great. Fantastic. Well, I would love to connect with people and, and help them if they feel that, um, you know, they want to take their, their sponsorship strategy, corporate partnership strategy to the next level. Very good. And of course, we'll, as you said, I'll provide all the links to all those different social channels and groups and things like that in the show notes. Uh, and if you want to check out Abby's chat about sponsorship in the not-for-profit space, simply head to sponsor.net, uh, go to the show notes. I've provided a link to episode nine, which was a, a fantastic chat as well, focused on uh, not-for-profit sponsorship and, and fundraising. So Abby Clements, Managing Director at Infinity Sponsorship, thank you so much for taking us inside your journey of mistakes and learnings. Oh, that is my pleasure, Daniel. And thanks for letting me be the only person you've had on twice so far. I look forward to, to many more chats when I uh, write more mistakes that I've done. As always, a great chat with Abby. She's so generous and open in sharing her knowledge and experiences, and I just love it. Thanks again to Abby for finding some time in her busy schedule to come on the show. Of course, there were lots of mentions and of links to great resources that Abby can help you out with, so be sure to visit infinitysponsorship.com.au or head to the show notes for this episode at sponsor.net, and I've provided individual links to all Abby's social profiles, including her LinkedIn group and also her free 14-day sponsorship game changer program. So be sure to go and check all those out and connect with Abby. You'll be better for it. And speaking of being better for it, get in contact with us and let us know you listen to the show and what you've been up to, where you work, that sort of stuff. We'd love to hear from you and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. And another thing that will make you awesome is if you head to iTunes and leave us a review. Reviews help others just like you find the podcast and learn from others in the industry. So it's really important. Hope you can help. Don't forget to head to sponsor.net to read Sam's blog. And of course, if you aren't getting the blogs or podcasts direct to your inbox each and every week, then shoot me an email or sign up at sponsor.net. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponsor.net. And of course, you can connect with Sam Irvine on LinkedIn or email using sam at sponsor.net. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs, and resources, head to sponsor.net or search for Sponsor on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn.